Hi, I'm Marcus Fares from Dezine and you're watching Mies UK. Welcome to Mies UK, a show that brings you a behind-the-scenes look of the architecture world here in the UK through interviews with architects, designers, academics, students and more, all from a student perspective. I'm your host, Matt McCallum. This week we have an interview with Marcus Fairs, who's founder and editor-in-chief of Design an online magazine that I know many people in the architectural world will be aware of already. His contributions in architectural journalism have earned him the first honorary fellowship of the Royal Institute of Architects awarded to a journalist. A 3D design graduate, Marcus set out his career in journalism, writing for building design and later for building. He launched Icon in 2003 and edited the publication until 2006. He is an experienced public speaker and even broadcaster, presenting a documentary on Philippe Stark for the BBC in 2003. Before and after launching Design in 2006, Marcus's journalism has earned him multiple awards and most recently earned him a spot in the Evening Standard's top 1,000 influential Londoners list. Without further ado, I hope you enjoy the interview. going to be in the interview? Do I need to answer as if you're talking to me or as if I'm talking to nobody? Uh, my question Okay, yeah. yeah. So, who are you? I'm Marcus Fares and I'm a journalist and I'm founder and editor-in-chief of Design, which is an online architecture and design magazine. And how did you end up here? What happened? <laughs> well, I was a... Okay, so the, 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 the short story is I studied design at um, degree level. I was never going to make it as an architectural designer, but I was good at writing. And then eventually I fell into architecture journalism. I worked on a few uh, industry magazines. And then I um, got a lucky break to launch a magazine called Icon, like a glossy print magazine. And I was there for about almost three years, and then I got fired for some like ridiculous non-scandal. Um, and this was in 2006. And this was a time when when they were just starting to be the first design and architecture blogs. And I thought that um, the internet was like a really amazing tool for journalism. It was so fast, it was so reactive, uh, and it was becoming increasingly popular. So when I lost my job, I thought, why don't I start a design blog? Maybe I can make a big impact. I'd always wanted to launch my own magazine, and I didn't have enough money to do a print magazine, so I just launched Design as, a, as an experiment. Um, I got a friend to help me set it up who knew about WordPress. It cost $50, $25 for the domain name and $25 for the hosting. And I was away, but I had, I had lots of contacts and friends in the industry, so I was able to get good stories very quickly. And it just kind of took off. It just, um, more and more people just discovered it and um, talked about it and sent me stories. And um, yeah, that's, that's how it happened. It's been growing ever since for 11 years. So shifted from print to online journalism, you could say? Yeah, yeah. I think I was the first professional journalist to launch a design or architecture website. There were other websites around at the time, but they were run by people who were not experienced journalists, or it was a hobby for them, or they, you know, they were just wanted to express themselves uh, 
outside their normal job. But I sort of brought kind of maybe hopefully I like to think higher standards of journalism to the discipline. So what do you think, what advantages do you have in online journalism that print cannot offer? Oh my God, I mean like, well, that's, that's an argument that I've not ha heard for a long time because of course speed is the, is the, the, the most obvious one. I worked on weekly and monthly magazines, so uh, at, the, at the shortest, you'd have to wait a, week, wait a week to see what you'd published in front of an audience with the, with the internet instant, as we know. Um, but of course, then the scale of audience, with the internet, you can reach people all around the world, whereas print titles are kind of, because they're physical things, they're, they're restricted to the distribution network. I mean, I've always thought of the internet as, for, in terms of a journalist, uh, as a, a, a way more efficient distribution network than existed before. And the distribution before was bits of paper going on lorries to shops. And now we have bits of information flying around the world and going to computers and um, phones and things like that. So it's just a, it's a more efficient distribution network for information. So you're the enemy of No, not at all, no. Um, I love magazines, and I think that magazines have had to change, but now there's a resurgence of, of print magazines. But I think the way I saw it 11 years ago when I started journalism was that the internet was where the action was. It wasn't that print was dead, it just it wasn't evolving. And the internet was evolving, and now magazines are having to evolve again. But not the enemy at all. So you said in online there's much more speed, much more news... Um, but there's also always the risk, and like we see a lot in online, that the many shallow news that just want the sensation. So how can you keep a high quality of, like a high level of quality in such a fast-paced medium? Well, I don't agree that the internet is all about speed and shallowness. I mean, of course, we've you know we've seen, oh, it's particularly over the last few years, the rise of sort of clickbait and um, fake news and um, sensationalism. But, I mean, all of that existed before. I mean, there was fake news in the Middle Ages. There, were, <laughs> there was sensationalism in the Roman times. Um, it's just that the, the Internet allows those kind of um, dishonest or um, misleading messages to spread much further and faster. But I don't think that means that the whole platform is is corrupted or, or uh, open to abuse for everyone. I think it's, there's also fantastic journalism online. So, I mean, we don't worry about it, to be honest. We, we, we specialise, we have a very strong proposition, which is to present architecture and design projects in a beautiful way online, because the screen is a great luminous um, canvas for, for images. So that, that's another thing that's, that's better on the internet in some ways than than paper. Projects look amazing. And to support that with writing that's fair and honest and incisive and not too PR-y. And then sometimes if it's a news story, then we, we want to break news and we want to you know, be investigative and we want to cover topics that are controversial or difficult or um, that, that where design touches the lives of, of real people rather than just architects and designers. But in many ways, that's just doing exactly the same thing as I used to do in print. It's just taking those values to the internet. And of course, in the early days of design, when it was just me in my spare room, and then me plus an intern, and then me plus two other people, 
it wasn't possible, we didn't have the time and the resources to, to do that kind of um, time-consuming um, investigative or um, deep journalism that I used to do on print. But it was always the ambition that we would get there in the end. And I think we're now there. I think we now are producing content that's as good as the content that I was producing 15, 20 years ago in magazines. Would you say is fake news an issue in the world of architecture? Um, I think that the world of architecture and design is a, is a, a bit of a, uh, a bubble in the best possible way because I think that in our industry we have people who, by and large, have strong ethical values. They, they want the world to be a better place. They, they go into this, this discipline because they want to help people and the world and to, you know, to, to construct a better future, mostly. Um, also, it's quite a small world. So, there were, so the kind of the fake news syndrome hasn't really invaded our world, partly because I think the, the barrier of goodness that, the world, that our bubble represents fends it off, and partly because the, the real, the people that are responsible for fake news have a really subversive agenda, which is to bring down Western democracies or um, uh, undermine big corporations and so on and so forth, and, and therefore our little world isn't of any interest to them because it's too small, and it doesn't have as much power as the political arena or you know, the celebrity arena or uh, the business arena. So if you speak about this bubble, you have partnerships with other architects, for example, that write on the zine comments. Um, do you think the media today is more a platform for information rather than just a producer of information? Well, I think the internet definitely makes it easier to have a two-way conversation rather than a one-way conversation. And in fact, when I launched the zine, the, the thing, the, big, the first big surprise was comments because I hadn't expected that. I mean... On print magazines, all of the print magazines I worked on had a letters page, and you would really desperately check the mailbox every morning, <laughs> are there any letters? And I even know of some print magazines that used to write the letters themselves because they didn't receive enough. Um, but then when I launched a zine and we had this comments section at the bottom, and people would actually write comments, and it was really amazing. And, and a lot of them were nonsense, and a lot of them were people just you know, trolling each other. But quite often you'd get really insightful comments that would really add something to the story or link to something that you didn't know about that gave you a whole sort of rabbit hole of, of, of new information possibilities based on that story. Um, and so Dazine has really capitalised on that. I mean, it's a really important part of our ethos that we encourage people to comment, we respond to them. So our readers are always pointing out when we made a spelling mistake or some kind of error... Of course, we get people that uh, like have kind of quite offensive views, and we try and control that. But we've managed to build a community around our, our comments, and that's not something that was ever possible with print because it was always us writing and them reading, and then maybe they'd write a letter, but that would then be on our pages, you know, it's edited by us. Yeah. I'm talking about the themes or the things you write about. Where do you set the line between? Well, it's, it's not really a... I mean, it, and you probably noticed throughout this conversation I've been, you've been asking about architecture and I've been replying about architecture and design. I really don't see them as different things. I think that's partly because um, when I, I studied design, but I was also interested in architecture, 
Um, and so I would read about architecture and I would write about architecture and I did my dissertation on architecture, even though I was studying three-dimensional design. Didn't it, And in that, in that era when I grew up in the 80s and 90s as well, I was reading magazines like Blueprint and, and Domus and then they would just mix those two things together. I guess that comes from Italy where uh, most of the designers studied architecture and then became designers because there was not much construction in Italy. And, but brought an architectural sensibility to it. So then when we launched Icon magazine in 2003, uh, it was very much based on my memories of reading Blueprint magazine when I was young. So we just mixed those two disciplines together. And then when I launched Design, brought that same sensibility of, of the two disciplines. So even though they are sort of, to a large extent, separate worlds, you know, you go to an architecture conference or you go to a design conference, I think the sensibilities are very, very similar. And they're both three-dimensional, and they're both um, uh, produced by people that are similar in their outlooks, I think. So if you talk about the designs as a whole, why do you think, or at least I have the feeling, why, why, why do you think that people are more interested in a design of a watch or a sofa rather than a design of a building or a city? Well, on our site, they're not. On our site, the most popular content is architecture by quite a long way, actually. Um, so, but we're not a shopping site and we're not a kind of trainer site. So there are lots of people around the world that are obsessed with trainers and watches and things like that. We don't tend to get that kind of audience. We tend to get more of a professional audience. Um, but if you look at the, the stats of what topics people are reading about, then architecture is by far the most popular. There's a German quote that I try to translate, but it says, Journalism is the midwife and a great figure of time. Sort of how much power or influence does the media have in the world of architecture? I think it has a substantial influence. Um, magazines have always been arbiters of taste. They've always been the gatekeepers of the information that gets out. Um, when the when the, in the olden days, when there were a limited number of magazines, then the, the gates was very controlled. Now, theoretically, on the internet, there's anyone can launch a, a blog or a website. But of course, I think you're now seeing like consolidation. So the the smaller ones are dying off or struggling to stay in existence, and the bigger ones are getting bigger. So really, in 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 our world, there's like three or four big websites that really matter, I think. Um, and so we, we, we do have a responsibility and we do have an influence. And I think we've also changed, I mean, not just Azeem, but the, you know, like, together with Design Boom and Arch Daily, I think those are the other two sites that I think are the really important ones in the, in the West, at least. We've, we've changed the design and architecture worlds definitely by making them more connected and international. I mean, that's something that all architects say to me, that you know, like an architect who's quite successful now in um, in um, Italy would have been reading design when he was a student, or a design company in in Tokyo would have first discovered people like Jasper Morrison or whoever through design, and first got their work in front of an international audience through design, and then got their first client through design. So we've actually really helped make the world into a kind of level playing field in terms of architecture and design culture we've in if you in, in a negative sense you could say we've helped to sort of 
destroy local cultures to some extent, but that's a much broader process of globalization that's been going on that would have happened anyway without design blogs. It's, it's driven by economics and politics largely. And were you ever planning, like was your initial idea that design would end up like this? Or what was your initial idea when you started design? Yeah, it's, it's funny. Um, so first of all, my initial idea was that I was going to work for myself and not for someone else, and I was going to have my own platform. And I very much remember thinking that I wanted to build a brand, and that Dazim would be the brand, and on the internet that obviously the magazine would be a key part of it. But I remember thinking that it was going to be a brand, and it's going to be a global brand. And I remember telling myself... I think I can build a global brand in one year, which was a really naive statement because I didn't really know what that meant. But I, I just knew that it would be quicker doing it that way than with print. And in fact, I think we managed to build a global brand in less than a year. I think it happened pretty quickly. I think within six months, a lot of the key people around the world in architecture and design had heard of Dazeem. And how do you decide on what you cover? Well, now there's quite a lot of us, as you can see out here. So I think that we have a few sort of guiding principles. They're never really written down and put on the wall or anything like that. But we're looking for things that are contemporary or avant-garde, so things that are of our time or pointing towards the future. It's important to us that they're beautiful. Sometimes it's important to us that they're ugly because that's also the flip side of you know, like uh, the, the, the beauty story is like um, provoking people with things that they feel uncomfortable with. But by and large, future-facing or of our time, um, beautiful, and ideally with some kind of story to it. So that, you know, rather than just saying, here are some nice pictures of an amazing house, there's some kind of story, like a personal story about the client or the architect or the, the construction method or the, you know, the the problems they faced or, or something like that. Um, but it's a very kind of collaborative process and um, we have endless email discussions and meeting discussions about should we have published that or should we not have published that. But also the other side of it is that we only publish a very small percentage of all the, the things that we get submitted to us. I mean, maybe like less than 5% actually gets published. And now... Um well, I was looking for a domain name that suggested Design Magazine, and Design was the closest I could get to that. And I thought everyone would understand, like, Zine is a magazine, de design. But nobody got it, and everyone asked the question. And in fact, in the early days, people thought maybe there was a Mr. Design from Holland or South Africa or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think the name has actually been part of its appeal because it sounds quite sort of zippy and international and it looks nice written down with the Z in it. So it's a, it's, an, it's a word that's nice for people to say. So I think if we'd had... I think one mistake we made was if we had had the, the word design in our name, we probably would have been more successful more quickly because people will Google design and not design. And on Instagram, people will search for design and not design. So that was maybe a bit of a mistake. But 
it's a very small regret compared to all the things that have gone well. Great. And now the very last question. What advice do you have for young people that feel the same way you felt back then and they want to do something? In journalism? In journalism or, or in anything? In, in anything in general. Yeah, I mean, from my own experience, I think you just you, you have to get experience. You have to get experience. You have to do stuff. It's really important that you you build a story, you build a CV. And, you know, um, I wasn't at all idealistic when I started out. I was just like, I want to, I want to, I, I did, I did anything that people would let me do. I worked in a bar, I worked in a shop. And all the time, though, all the time, they'd like suggesting ideas and trying things out. So I, I always was, um, I always was sort of trying to do more at each place I was working at than I was supposed to under my job description. And that got me into trouble sometimes, but it also allowed me to move forwards when someone would, someone would spot that, oh, why don't you have a go at that? So, like, for example, my first bar job, um, I've convinced my manager that, that we needed a, a, a company magazine, so I produced, <laughs> they paid me. It was, I drew it by hand and photocopied it and distributed it. So that was, that was my first paid journalism job, was this stupid, hand-drawn, photocopied punk magazine for this bar I was working at. Great. Thank you very much. You're welcome. You still have that magazine? Yeah, I've got a copy somewhere. It was a place in Covent Garden called The Rock Garden, and it was a, it was a restaurant upstairs and then a, a bar and music venue downstairs. And it was called Garden Mole because it was like gossip about The Rock Garden. Yeah. And I had, on the front cover of the first issue was this mole coming out of a hole, which was like a collage and stuff like that. It was, it was funny. And you were drawing the mole and everything? Yeah, I think I drew it. I think I drew it, or I cut it out of a magazine or something like that. It was, it was very punk. It was very um, funny. Nice. Marcus, can we just quickly make, because we always make a trailer um, for the TV, um, TV where the people say, hello, my name is, and you're yeah. watching Miss UK. So if you could just look into this camera. Miss UK. Miss UK. Miss UK, yeah. Just say, hi, I'm Marcus Ferris from Design, and you're watching Miss UK. Okay. And go. Hi, I'm Marcus Ferris from Design, and you're watching Miss UK. Perfect. Thanks again to Marcus for chatting so openly and honest with us. He didn't have to give up any of his time to two students with cameras and a tripod, but he was kind enough to do so. This interview was conducted by myself and Arian Lenner, founder and lead producer of Mies TV and Mies Magazine in Vienna. This podcast is an extended version of the eye-opening video interviews that we conduct. You can also view these on our website, mieseuk.com. We're always looking for interview suggestions and to hear from students who want to get involved. If you wish, you can email us via info at misuk.com. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter and YouTube by searching MeesUK or you can find us on Instagram at MeesTV.com. If you like this podcast, please share it with your friends, colleagues or fellow students and it's always helpful to leave a review or rating on the podcast platform of your choice. Thanks for listening and see you next time.